Hey everybody, back from a brief and busy summer hiatus, this is your host Paul Thompson with another edition of Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. This week, we bring in 2019 Kansas City, Missouri mayoral candidate Jason Kander. In addition to running for mayor, he's a former Secretary of State of Missouri, ran for the U.S. Senate as a Democrat in 2016, and has something of a national profile, as you might have noticed of late, due to his book, Outside the Wire, podcast on the Crooked Media series called Majority 54, and has also been running the Let America Vote voting rights campaign. But we started our conversation locally, talking about his familiarity with the historic Northeast. After that, Kander gives some good answers about how he handles political celebrity and how he remains relatable, despite the attention he's received from the media over the past couple of years. From there, we get into the August 7th primary election, what the high turnout means to him and to Missouri moving forward, and talk about his mayoral run, how he's forming relationships with those on the council, his impression of now Governor Mike Parson while both were serving in the Missouri legislature, and what steps he might try to take to curb violent crime in Kansas City, Missouri, if elected mayor. We conclude the interview with a trip down Kansas City Royals memory lane, where I quiz Kander about some of my favorite Royals of yesteryear, and he provides a personal anecdote about the infamous trade of Royal center fielder Carlos Beltran and the effect it had on his morale. All this and more coming up on Kansas City's Northeast Newscast, right now. So Paul Thompson here, sitting right across from Jason Kander, a mayoral candidate in Kansas City, Missouri. We're at 20th and Grand. Looks like your headquarters here. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were just talking about the historic Northeast and how you were familiar with our publication and some of the stuff going on there. So I figured I might as well start there. How familiar are you with the historic Northeast area in general? Yeah, pretty familiar. I mean, uh, in fact, just the other day I sat down um, with Senator Rizzo uh, Mm -hmm. because he's obviously very passionate about it. We talked about uh, some of the progress that's gone on and and what can be done additionally. Um, And, you know, there's a great argument to be made that there's a real microcosm of the progress that can be made in the city. I Mm -hmm. mean, just you have you have um, progress and you have it uh, going east, you know. And so I think it's uh, it's an outstanding opportunity for the city um, to prove what can be done here. And is that somewhere where you think you might focus some time when it comes to campaigning and, and getting oh, out, uh, you know, come some engagement efforts out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and in fact, uh, uh, Senator Rizzo was nice enough to endorse me right out of the gate. And one of the first conversations we had was, let's get out there together. I mean, obviously that, you know, he grew up there and it's his old house district. And, sure. and so um, I fully expect to be knocking doors there just like the rest of the city. I, I look forward to doing it with my friend, uh, my friend JJ. Cool. JJ, is that, uh, does that yeah, go back from your that. time? It's, you know, it's John. It's John. <laughs> no. It's John. Um, I had some, uh, I did have a couple things I wanted to ask you about endorsement. So maybe I'll, I'll, sure. I'll jump to that. Okay. Well, one, there's a lot of big personalities on the council, many of whom are running in the race. Though I thought it was, it was interesting, at least right off the bat, that you were able to gain endorsements from council members like Kevin McManus, Teresa Lohr, and even Jolie Justice, who was considering a, a run for her. Mm-hmm. her own and uh, was a contender there. Mm-hmm. How important was it to get those endorsements right off the bat? Well, it's important to me personally because, um, you know, I I like those people quite a lot and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I very much appreciate that um, they want me to be the mayor. It means a lot to me personally, sure. you know, um, and, and I appreciate them doing that. I mean, you know, I, I go back I think all, maybe almost 20 years mm-hmm. with uh, with Kevin McManus. Right. Um, you know, Joey Justice and I uh, worked together um, on behalf of Kansas City in in, uh, in the General Assembly and have really um, very similar visions for the city. And I'm I'm very excited to get the opportunity, uh, hopefully, uh, to work with Joey. Um, uh, 
uh, you know, in, over the next four years, um, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and Teresa Lohr and I, um, you know, one of the things we talked about is that, you know, she served with USAID in Afghanistan, and uh, mm-hmm. and I was over there with the army. So, but look, there there are a lot of great people, including the council folks uh, who are running. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of good people out there who want to want to do good things for Kansas City. You're saying they're not bad people just because they're running against you? There's a lot of there's a lot of great people. A lot of them are my friends, mm-hmm. and um, you know. I think that uh, everybody can serve Kansas City in different ways. Um, I know what I bring to the table, uh, and I'm confident about it. I'm excited about it. Cool. Well, I know we don't have that much time, so I guess I should just get to the deeply personal stuff, really. One of the things I'd written down here is that um, a lot of your appeal is kind of the result of being relatable, right? Um, Your ability to talk to people, and Uh I I, I see that brought up a lot in people Mm -hmm. I talk to and and in stories I see and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. How do you stay relatable while you're getting kind of the national exposure that you are between the Let America Vote, the podcast, the book, uh, the hits and and the interviews that you do? I mean, do you have any tactics to kind of keep yourself or keep your head from being in the clouds sometimes? Um, You know, it's a a funny question because to me, it's, it's you... Like just a few minutes ago, we were um, uh, we were not too far from here. We were um, walking around a block with a neighborhood leader and mm-hmm. looking at, at houses that are abandoned. Looking, at, you know, whether it is right now or when I was a state representative, uh, the key, and even when I was running for state representative mm-hmm. um, a decade ago now, the key to me has always been, and what makes this um, line of work worthwhile, is spending time with people and listening to them and really working to try and make a difference in their lives and and if that's what you care about then I guess you don't really ever have to worry about those kind of concerns because um, I guess the only way you really lose touch with that is if you're too busy thinking about yourself and if you're focused on other people and that's really what public service is supposed to be then I guess you don't have to worry about that that and you know what I always tell people is um, don't focus on being something focus on doing something and I'm focused on doing something Um, it is funny though people bring it up and they you know I always say that uh, politics is the only line of work where uh, you seem comfortable in your own skin is like the highest compliment you can get. Right. Uh, nobody ever says, uh, you know, what I love about my accountant is he just seems like a regular person. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. So it's a pretty low bar. I and, Yeah, uh, that's pretty funny. I appreciate that people think that I... Uh, yeah, if somebody said that to me, I think maybe they're making fun of me for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, what so, do you mean by that? I mean, yeah, I don't really know how to answer the question. Uh, I guess if I had a tactic to answer the question of uh, how do you seem normal, then I would probably be less normal. Right, I guess that's true. (laughs) Yeah, if it was a strategy, then I guess it's a little less organic, isn't it? Right, yeah. Um, But that said, it's got to be surreal. I want to point to something I saw this week. It was uh, on the Instagram account of Army Hammer, Golden Globe nominated actor. Did did you happen to see that? I did, He posed with a picture of your book. Uh And at one point in there, he said some very nice things. And I... One of the things that actually made me laugh was when he said, um, you know, he says he called you the future. He says you're the antidote for the current political situation. Suggested that uh, you're so honest and real, it's shocking you have any political career at all, (laughs) which is actually pretty funny for Army Hammer. Uh, Objectively funny, I thought. So uh, does that ever just feel surreal? Um, Like Army Hammer, I saw you in like four movies. (laughs) I guess maybe a little, but uh, one of the things I've learned between knocking on 20,000 doors in my race for state representative and even before that serving in the military. And then obviously, you know, um, getting to know a few people who are, who are well known is that 
you know, people are people. And, uh, and I mean, obviously I appreciate the compliment very much, but I, I also really appreciate um, the person who tweeted at me that I saw, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, um, who told me uh, they were a fellow veteran and they, and I mentioned um, in their, uh, you know, a, a road that mm-hmm. I traveled on in Afghanistan. I mentioned that in the book and, and he had, he had been on the same road and, and just the way we connected. I mean, that means just as much to me for right. certainly. Um, you know, to me, it's it's not so much about uh, the notoriety of a person that mm-hmm. you affect. It's it's about how deeply you can you can impact somebody, and 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 then really how many people you can impact in a positive way. Cool. So. No, good answer. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to the August seventh uh, primary election. Sure. I, I won't make you talk about yourself the entire time okay. here. Um, so the turnout numbers were, were staggering. I mm-hmm. thought um, yeah. in the Democratic U.S. Senate primary alone, I. I I, wrote, I found that Democrats cast 605,503 total votes mm-hmm. on their way to uh, selecting Claire McCaskill to represent them on the ballot with, by 83%, mm-hmm. I think is what she got. Uh, and during 16, I think Democrats only cast 319,886. We were talking about this earlier today. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure you remember that election, mm-hmm. obviously that primary. And so that's almost 300,000 additional voters mm-hmm. in just a two-year span. And Republican primary figures were almost exactly identical. I think you tweeted about that too, and I mm-hmm. saw that um, it was within thirty votes, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. I guess first off, what was your takeaway from, from seeing that? Well, I mean, one thing that's worthwhile to point out is that also this is a midterm, and that was a presidential year, right? Um, so it's it's all the more reason why it's remarkable. You know, my takeaway from it is is that. Uh, it, it affirms what I've what I've already seen across Kansas City in particular, um, which is folks are engaged and enthusiastic at a level that I've never seen in my lifetime, and right. it's it's really special and it's encouraging. Um, you know, uh, this movement is special because it is not a movement that starts in Washington or in Jefferson City or mm-hmm. even in Topeka and goes out. Uh, it is a, a movement that starts everywhere else and goes to the U.S. Capitol, goes to the state capitol, goes to City Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, if you look over the course of history, the most effective movements are, are those that start everywhere else and then go to the, uh, right. to the seats of power. And, and what's also special about it is that the people who are, who are coming out and, and engaging in a way that they never have, it is not because they saw somebody on their TV necessarily who inspired them or some politician. Mm-hmm. It's because their neighbor down the street uh, called them and brought them into it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always refer to it as grab an oar. The people right. are, you know, we're living in grab an oar territory. Mm-hmm. You got to do everything you can. And and so, you know, if you think back to like um, last year over the, um, oh, you don't even think back that far. Think about what we just went through with with Proposition A. Right. You know, um, all the people who, because I went and I, I knocked doors, I did several shifts of that and also phone calling. And there were a lot of people who were there who were there to knock doors with me or make phone calls. And they would tell me they'd never done anything like that before. Um, and they weren't saying, and I'm here because so-and-so was on my TV and said I should be. Mm-hmm. Somebody down their street had been like, I'm going to go do this. You want to come? And people are getting out of their comfort zone. And that's the only way you make change. Yeah, and it obviously worked in Kansas City. I think 83% of the people in uh, Kansas City, Missouri mm-hmm. uh, voted against Prop A. So yeah. pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. Um, and I thought District 5 was also an interesting case with, with Cleaver. Uh, I, I took down some numbers there. I, I'm not a math major or a mathematician by any means. But uh, it, I thought it was interesting because it features the same candidates as it did in 2016. Hmm. Uh, the leading I candidates for this yet, party. So you have to tell me. Oh, well, I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, Cleaver against Jacob Turk on the mm-hmm. Republican side. So uh, Cleaver garnered 32,000 additional votes in 2018 
than the total votes that were cast in the same primary in 2016, despite running unopposed this time around. Yeah. So he had an opponent mm -hmm. last time, and uh, still, and that I'm taking total votes, so mm -hmm. um, 32,000 more without an opponent this time yeah. than he had before against an opponent. Meanwhile, Turk won the Republican nomination again, but there were only an additional roughly 6,500 voters in that primary. So you're talking 25,000, I guess the increase was 25,000 greater on the Democratic side, despite the yeah. candidate running unopposed, and that's a head-to-head -head battle. Yeah. So, um, now that you're confronted with those stats, what does that mean to you? Yeah, look, I think it's pretty clear that while Republicans uh, are in power uh, in this country and in this state right now, um, Democrats have the momentum. Right. And uh, I think it's, a, I mean, particularly the fact that he's unopposed and he got more votes. Also, people, including myself, really, really like Congressman Cleaver. Right. I think that's one of the things that that indicates. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I, I think it's I think it's really exciting. I, I think it's fantastic that um, people are taking taking the initiative mm -hmm. you know? yeah there's a, a interest all around I know there's mm -hmm. other ways to look at it um, a, a lot of people in Kansas City if you identify as a Republican might grab a Democratic ballot but that's always been the case yeah so um, I thought that was really a telling stat as well yeah. but uh, you've obviously been a champion of voting rights uh -huh. especially in the past couple of years yeah and I wanted to ask you despite you know the, the really optimistic things that you might take from seeing that kind of bump in turnout yeah was there any part of you that felt bittersweet knowing that these new Democratic voters could have potentially elected you a U.S. Senator in 2016 if they if they had been on board then. No, I, I don't have any any feeling like that. And I'll I'll tell you, you know, because I know there are people who say, um, who like get upset when they they meet people who didn't vote in 2016. Right. And, Where know, were those 300,000 voters yeah. in 2016? Yeah. And I, like I, it, I understand that I guess, but if you are out. Uh, and you're talking politics with somebody because they are engaged right now and they want to be a part of making things better. And then they say, well, you know, I didn't vote in the past. Getting mad at them to me is, is not, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't feel that way at all. And I'll, I'll give you the analogy, which is, you know, I am obsessive about the Royals. And, and you know, like you, I lived through 29 years of the team. I mean, to this, as we sit here, there's only been four winning seasons in my adult life, right. you know. That said, when the Royals started really being in contention in 13, but really in 14, sure. and all of a sudden you look around town and everybody's got a t-shirt. I mean, yeah. my mom bought a t-shirt for the Royals. I, I remember that there were some people who were like, I've been here the whole time. They were all upset. I was not one of those people. No, I, I felt like, either. look, I've been evangelizing for this for a really long time, and exactly. I'm just excited that more people have joined the party. And when it comes to uh, folks turning out now who maybe didn't turn out in the past, I feel the exact same way. Like, I'm not going to waste any time on negative energy. Plenty of room on the bandwagon. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that, like, folks who have not gone out and knocked doors, not gone out and, you know, made phone calls in the past, like, that means somebody... That, that somebody in my line of work, a politician, failed to motivate them in the past. Sure. So I'm not going to spend any time blaming them. No. You know? Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. And I'm glad you brought up the Royals. I want to mm -hmm. I want to come back to that okay. a little bit later. I had a couple a couple yeah. things I wanted to ask you about that. Um, uh, before we go there, though, I wanted to talk about one more thing. You mentioned yeah. Prop A. Yeah. Kansas City Question One. That's the mm -hmm. rental home inspection program yeah. that passed. Uh, it was on the ballot through initiative petition. Do you feel comfortable saying whether or not you voted it, voted for yeah. it, or, or, or supported that? I, I supported it, and uh, and I was pretty vocal about it. Um, you know, letting people know why I supported it. I think it's a good start. Um, and, you know, obviously we have to make sure um, that uh, that that folks who um, who I mean, we have a lot of people who live who rent. We have a lot of renters, and right. we have to make sure that they're treated fairly. And we also have to make sure that as we move forward, that we're monitoring this, that we're putting things in place, so that uh, these fees are not passed on. 
Right. Um, that, I know that's a concern yeah. that even I had. And I'll be honest. I went back and read <laughs> my own stories from yeah. like the year prior yeah. when they had talked about this thing. Yeah. I was like, okay, wait, I sort of forgot like yeah. what the what the rates are or mm-hmm. what, you know how they're going to try to yeah. you know control that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, I think the idea is pretty sound. So yeah, it, it needs to happen, and now we have to make sure that it, that it's implemented uh, in the right way. Cool. Um, let's let's look at uh, the, the 2019 mayoral race. Obviously, sure. Um, probably one, the main reason why you're willing to sit down and talk with me. Uh, so I do appreciate that. But um, so one of the biggest issues in Kansas City at present is gun violence. Uh-huh. Last time I checked, uh, Kansas City, Missouri had registered 77 homicides in mm-hmm. 2018, which is actually lower than 2017's pace, yeah. but well above what it had yeah. been in three years mm-hmm. prior. Um, and earlier this week, the mayor and chief of police held a joint press conference calling for more common sense gun measures. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, what constitutes common sense gun measures? Well, there's an awful lot of things that we can do. Um, you know, not not long ago, the mayor uh, outlined several, and mm-hmm. I remember reading them and thinking I, I pretty well agreed with uh, with just about all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of it, if you want to just define common sense gun measure, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes it is going to be anything uh, that. Um, let me let me define it this way. Um, when I think about uh, the fact that, like, this would be an example. Mm-hmm. You know, in the military, in order to carry a weapon, mm-hmm. you have to qualify on that weapon. Meaning, you have to demonstrate that you are safe with the weapon, that you can you can employ the weapon uh, in the right way, and that when you um, employ the weapon, you hit what you're aiming for uh, at you know at a certain standard. Right. Um, and and you do that every year. And not just any weapon, like pistol, rifle, the exact weapon you're going to carry, you have to do that on an annual basis. You have to first prove yourself, then you have to reprove yourself every year. Mm-hmm. So to someone like myself, who's been through that kind of training and who carried a weapon uh, in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, was qualified, in fact, on, on a rifle and a pistol uh, to carry over there, the idea that you can just walk in and purchase, uh, you know, the virtually, virtually the same weapon that I carried in Afghanistan with no training or anything. I mean, that's ridiculous. So, I mean, it's common sense that that's ridiculous. And one of the big problems we have right now is we, I mean, we need to elect more legislators who have enough common sense to recognize that uh, you don't actually need a permission slip from the National Rifle Association in order to pass a common sense law. You have been elected by people. You can be responsible and do what you actually know is right. Right. So that's how I would define it. That's interesting. The um, it well, I guess the other question is, how do you enforce these laws that you come up with? Mm-hmm. So one thing is coming up with a law. Another thing is actually enforcing them. You know, I think Sly makes a good point, for instance, when he talks about a couple of things. I'll give you a couple of examples at the city level. One is, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of gun crime is, is committed with uh, stolen uh, right. stolen firearms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, putting something in place that says that if you don't report a stolen firearm, that, that that's not a consequence-free act. Right. right. And, you know, and then on top of that, stuff like, you know, when you look at domestic violence offenses and, sure. and saying if, you know, if... If you are someone who has committed domestic violence, uh, demonstrated that you uh, employ violence uh, in in an argument, oh, yeah. uh, then it's not in the interest of our city for you to to have uh, a weapon. Right. Um, so I mean, stuff like that. I mean, that certainly should be considered. And uh, I know when in the state of Missouri, when you no longer, I think it was January 2017, where you no longer had to have CCW training. Mm-hmm. To own a firearm, I talked to a CCW instructor who said, so often in my classes, 
the person who thinks he's Wyatt Earp is the one who fails because they were taught how to use a gun but not safely or mm -hmm. whoever taught them was just you know thought that they were an expert too and never had training yep. um, there's a reason there's training it's a, right. it's a perishable skill it's not right. a permanent skill and people who yeah. were a little more careful about it or didn't know yeah. as much actually soaked in some of those lessons a little more than the people who grew up with guns and thought they knew everything yeah. so yeah. it's interesting um, so I did talk to uh, Jackson County Prosecutor's Office Director of Comms Mike Manser earlier okay. this week mm -hmm. re related to an individual who had been this was actually related to a robbery suspect, mm -hmm. but I think it, it still kind of holds true for, for issues of people having guns or mm -hmm. say we put something on the books where somebody, um, there's repercussions mm -hmm. or jail time for carrying a gun or, you know, obviously the thing that's often brought up is um, felony in possession, five years, mm -hmm. right? But what, what he was telling me is that as of Monday, August 6th, the Jackson County Jail was 110 inmates over capacity. Yeah. So they feel an enormous amount of pressure on their end to take a reduced bail or to let somebody out on their own recognizance. Mm -hmm. How do you solve that issue when it's something that's sort of outside of their hands? Would, would you be in favor of something like building a new Jackson County jail? I mean, I know that's maybe outside of your purview. And well, we have to work with the county um, because the, the situation at the detention center is, is unacceptable. I mean, it, it just should not be the case um, that people who are who who have done something that uh, that justifies a, a charge on on a violent you know a charge of violence a violent crime uh, that that how many beds at the jail dictates whether or not that charge is brought That's the reality. and and I'm not I'm I'm not in any way criticizing. Um, the, the people making the charge. I'm saying that is a, that is a reality that we have to deal with. Is, mm -hmm. and, and so I'm looking forward to, to working with the county to make sure that we can alleviate that. Absolutely. Sure. I asked you earlier about your relationship with some of the council members. Obviously, mm -hmm. you got some endorsements yeah. there. Along this vein, when Governor Parson was in town mm -hmm. last week, he said that he would consider any legislation that came across his desk, including municipal gun legislation coming out of St. Louis or Kansas City. So you obviously spent time as Secretary of State while he was in the legislature. Uh, what was your impression of him? In fact, he and I served in the state house together. Okay. Um, you know, uh, the I almost called him Mike. He's the governor yeah. now. Uh, the the um, the governor and I disagree on plenty of things, mm -hmm. um, but I do appreciate that we've always been able to sit down and talk. In fact, didn't he carry um, our business our uh, our fees bill? When, yeah. In fact, when I was Secretary of State, one of our biggest, uh, like I think, two years in a row. Um, if I remember right, oh, I could be. Is, yeah. yeah, but um, you know, we had legislation um, to make it easier to do business in the state of Missouri by, by uh, substantially reducing the fees. Mm -hmm. um, and and if I recall correctly, uh, while he was in the state senate, Mike Mike carried that bill for us. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I know he did. I just don't remember whether it was one year or two years. And so okay. and he and and we worked with him on it. So look, I mean, politically, he and I disagree on plenty of stuff. Right. Um, but we've always gotten along. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, and, and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. So uh, it, it sounds like you feel like you would be able to foster a collaborative relationship with him I can, if elected mayor? As the mayor of Kansas City, I will foster a collaborative relationship with absolutely every person that I have to in order to advance the interests of the city. There's even no the press? press. And, 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 did you say even the press? Yeah, even the press. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Yeah.
Cool. I think it's. I think I'm doing it right now. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, so far so good. Yeah. Um, but this is going to be the uh, the last question I ask okay. you, and, and perhaps the most important for sports fans in Kansas City. Okay. You mentioned the Royals. Yes. Um, I, you and I are relatively close to the same age, yeah. so we probably have some of the same memories from some of those uh-huh. horrific Royals teams sure. um, from before the, the resurgence and the bandwagon fans yeah. jumped on board. So I want to conclude. With I don't call them bandwagon fans. I call them new fans. New fans. Yes. Sorry, that was yeah. my word, not it's yours. It's okay. It's okay. So I'm going to go ahead and throw some names at you from Royals history. Okay. And I'd like to know what pops in your mind. You ready? All right. All right go ahead. Okay. Uh, Carlos Febles. Uh Just second base or shortstop? Second base. Second Part base. Of, yeah. Carlos? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, I'm, as I recall correctly, turned a mean double play yeah. and uh, was a very, very nice guy who everybody felt like kind of represented where the franchise was at that moment. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. How about uh, Ronaldus Hernandez? Do you remember him? Yes. Uh, not well, though. Yeah. <laughs> he was one of those guys who I thought was going to be amazing and never yeah. pulled it together. He was one of our homegrown guys. Yeah, and he, yeah, started, yeah. he started an opening day, at least one for us. And I think he was like 260 pounds, I think. By yeah, the yeah, yeah. I remember this fella. He had like a high 50s number on his jersey, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I yeah. guess that's what I remember about. Yeah. Yeah. Remember Nephi Perez. Yeah, yeah. That's who I, I, I honestly, I sometimes confuse him with Fabos, but I know they were a few years apart. Nephi Perez was, we would all refer to him as just, I remember people were like, Nephi, and it became like a, this is as good as we are, you know, sort of thing. And he was traded, uh, we traded Jermaine Dye for him. Yeah, yeah. Which was, <laughs> got him destroyed, if yeah, I recall. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, last one. This is a, this is a weird one, um, but it's hilarious for a particular reason. You remember Mark Quinn? Yeah. Yeah. He was the one with the goatee. <laughs> he also uh, got yeah. injured doing ninja moves. during. Yes, that's what I was going to say. I knew there was a funny injury. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I wanted to ask, what, looking back in your, your Royals fandom, mm-hmm. uh, is there a particular trade that stood out for you from, from that time period before we were great? Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, well, technically it's before we were great because it's the, it's the Shields trade and everything. But mm-hmm. I always think about... There's somebody who people never think about in that trade who was one of my favorite little journeyman players who wasn't around for that long. And do you remember Elliot Johnson? Yeah. Man, that guy was so fun to watch. Um, and he was a hustler. He was a hustler. Like he would, he would always be all dirty and cut up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I always and I even when he left us, I think he went, I think he went to Atlanta. No, he went to Cleveland, then he went to Atlanta for a while, and now yeah. he's out of the game. But man, I loved watching that dude because he was one of the guys who you knew knew that he was just barely hanging on to staying in the league mm-hmm. and so just gave it everything all every day and also because he was like a tremendous post-game interview mm-hmm. i loved when he would have a great game and joel would interview him for one thing he did impressions um and uh and so he was really good but another trade well i mean the biggest trade really that stands out probably for a lot of people was beltron because for me so that was i want to say june 25th of 2004 and the reason i remember that and I think I'm, I've got to have it within 10 days. Mm-hmm. The reason I remember that is because um, it's kind of a funny story. All right, so uh, that year, because 03 was the first winning season we had, I think, in my adult life. Yeah, we were like yeah. one game over 500. Yeah. And it was the 03, most that incredible was, thing that, that ever happened. That was the believe year. You know, that was the motto. That Pena, was uh, Beltron, Die, and Damon, I think, in the outfield. And yeah. all of them were in the All-Star game. Yeah, and then Poznanski later wrote that column about what it would have been like if we just hung on to mm-hmm. some of those guys. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so... Um, so, 04, I'm thinking, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And, and they started out kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I go to Fort Lewis, Washington for officer school, for mm-hmm. officer training. Um, 
And, uh, and when you're there, you really don't get any, the news you get from the outside world comes from the, the drill sergeants. Mm -hmm. uh, and that day was also, the, that was the day my platoon went to the gas chamber. Mm -hmm. And so I come out of the gas chamber and my morale was about as low as it can get. I'm just getting you know, air back into my lungs. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, it's tear gas, there's you know, tears streaming out of my face right. and I can't breathe. And, and um, Master Sergeant Williams comes up to our platoon and we all like jump up and get a parade rest when he walks up and I'm still trying to recover. And he's like, Kander, where's Kander? And I'm like, right here, Sergeant. And he comes over and he says, Kander, you're from Kansas City, right? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I go, yeah, yes, Sergeant. And he says, uh, Royals are in dead last and they just traded Carlos Beltran. And then he walks off. Just, to, I thought my morale could not get lower, but that's, that, was, that was my lowest point as yeah. a Royals fan was right there. So that, I guess, is probably the trade that stands out the most. <laughs> Do you ever think about giving them up? About giving uh, giving up the Royals at that point? Oh no 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 no! I mean, like right now when they're obviously uh, less than good, um, I think of it like um, you know my son is almost five, mm -hmm. but you know I imagine like if in ten years he's playing on a team, a baseball team, and like if they are terrible, mm -hmm. like if they never win. I'm going to know every kid on that team personally. So I'm going to be completely invested in that team. I'm going to go to the games and every kid that comes up, like if they get a hit, like it's going to be a huge victory, right. even if it's not my kid. That's how I think about the Royals when they're bad. Right. I just follow them even closer so that you can invest yourself in the individual stories of the players. And, and, uh, and then you don't have to worry about the score at the end of the game. You're just, you're just happy that, you know, Rosie Herrera hit his first major league home run or something. Right. Cool. So. Well, hey, I appreciate you uh, being willing to talk a little you bit bet, about man. that to end this thing, and I appreciate your time. You bet. There you have it, folks. My conversation with 2019 Kansas City, Missouri mayoral candidate Jason Kander. Between praise from Army Hammer and Jason's story about being tear gassed as Carlos Beltran was being traded, I thought we hit the gamut this week. In between those stories, we had some interesting conversations about Missouri politics, where we're going from here and how he might act if he is indeed elected mayor of Kansas City when that election happens in 2019. So I want to thank Jason for being part of our podcast, and I want to thank everybody here for listening. This is your host, Paul Thompson, signing out. Thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>